Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 78. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Kathleen Grissom, author of the hugely best-selling books, The Kitchen House and Glory Over Everything, to the show. I don't think our conversation goes the direction you're expecting, and I think you're going to love it for just that reason. I was surprised to hear that Kathleen is a book club pro. She has talked to more than 1,000 book clubs since The Kitchen House was published. I also found out some interesting tidbits about what book clubs like to read along the way. We discuss hardcovers versus paperbacks, historical fiction with notes of redemption, and we do a deep dive into Kathleen's writing process, which is fascinating. But before Kathleen was a writer, she was a reader. So of course, we get to dig into what she loves and hates and why. And then I take my best shot at recommending what she should read next. I can't wait to share this with you today. Let's get to it. Kathleen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Anne. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure having you. I was uh, so excited. My friend Holland Saltzman owns the Novel Neighbor Bookstore in St. Louis, and she was over the moon when you stopped in one day when your, I think it was the day Glory Over Everything came out in paperback in St. Louis. You were there for the release, and she was so excited to have you in the store. And I believe that's how um, you found out about What Should I Read Next? Is that right? That's exactly right. Mm Mm-hmm. That's so fun. Now, what is what is special about launching a paperback book as opposed to a hardcover? Is it the same thing all over again? Is the initial release or is there something different? No, I think it's the same, really. Uh, for me, it was special because I knew that a lot of my readers belong to book clubs, and I knew that the book clubs were waiting for the paperback version. So for that reason, I was really happy to go out again. Oh, interesting. Is that solely because of the expense or are there other reasons? I don't know. I think it has, it certainly has to do with expense, but I don't know about you. I read in bed at night and I like to have a book that's pliable and easy to hold. And I, I suspect that a lot of them are the same way. You know, readers love to debate paper versus e-reader versus audio, but I've never heard anybody break down hardcover versus paperback, but it was certainly a paperback that I was reading in bed last night. Really? Well, that's, for me, I tend to gravitate toward that for that very reason. They're just lighter and more easy to handle. Interesting. Now, I know that The Kitchen House has been read by, I wouldn't even, tens of thousands of book clubs, if not more. What is it about your novels that you think are so discussable for book clubs? Because not every book makes a great book club novel. Yeah. I, you know, I think because people ask me this all the time, why, you know, why is this happening? I think, as I said before, I'm Canadian. I'm from Saskatchewan originally. And I suspect that this is now a time to be discussing the whole racial issue or the whole issue of slavery. I've watched or I've listened to my book clubs ask questions. And one of the big questions is from the white readers, what is the response of the African-American community? And I love to tell them that I've been, each year that I've had my book out, I've been invited. Charlottesville has a festival of the book. And there is, it's called the Lynx Incorporated. And that is an African-American literary group. Uh, They support the arts. 
and um, there's they have a luncheon with the it's attached to the uh, Virginia Festival of the Book, and uh, they invited me to that luncheon. The first year in 2010, uh, they invited me because of the Kitchen House, and at that luncheon, I believe if I'm correct in this, they celebrated uh, 25 other. Uh, they were African American writers, and I was included in that. Of course, I'm not African American, but I was included in that. And they did the same exact thing for me this past year with the publication of Glory Over Everything. And I think that that content is what book groups like to discuss. So the content being about slavery and about, uh, you know, man's inhumanity to man and how far have we come or have we come any distance at all. But I'm asked the same question by African-American groups as I am by the white groups. So it's just interesting to me. I think that there's a lot of discussion in there about race, race inequality in today's world and um, issues like that. It brings up a whole lot of issues like that. What do you think it is about fiction as a platform to discuss those issues? Do you think that makes it more accessible to readers? Do you think it's easier for them to see and discuss the issues when it is a story and a story set in history instead of in the current day? Well, it might be one step removed to make it easier, more palatable, maybe. One of the things that uh, I mention in my books is that this these stories come to me in a spiritual way. I call it a spiritual way, where they come almost like a movie. So when I've done my research, I sit down and these characters show up and they give me the story. They re they act the story out. But while they're doing that, they pull me in. It's almost as though I become the essence of each individual character. So I'm living that story. And I think that I knew early on that my job was not to make up a story, but my job was to um, let the reader experience or try to have the reader experience exactly what I was experiencing. And I think somehow... I've been able to do that. So at least that's what I'm being told over and over again by my book clubs. And um, so I think it pulls them into other characters as well. And they have an opportunity to experience the essence of each character and to feel what those characters might have felt, whether they were black or white. They have an opportunity to feel what those characters feel. Kathleen, let's back all the way up. Were you a reader before you were a writer? Oh, I'm a voracious reader. I read like I eat popcorn. My mother would say, when are you going to get your nose out of that book? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What kinds of books was your nose buried in when you were a child? As a child? Well, I started out with, of course, the Bobsy Twins. And I might be, I'm certainly before your time in this, but I think you've heard of the Bobsy Twins, have you? Oh, I've read the Bobsy Twins. Oh, you have? Oh, that's so exciting. But then there was Enid Blyton. She uh, was a writer out of England, and this was more, uh, I think, maybe up in Canada. But we had the adventure series of the Famous Five. Have you ever heard of those books? Heard of, but I have not read. Yeah, I just loved those books as a child. I loved those books. Then I graduated to Anne of Green Gables. Sure, you've heard of her, but she also had another series that isn't as well known. It's called Emily of New Moon. I love the Emily books. Did you? You did. Oh, you are a reader. And Emily was a writer as well. Yes, exactly. 
Did that appeal to you? Well, you know, I don't think it dawned on me. I don't, I didn't ever think I could be a writer as a child or as a young woman, even. I didn't think that was a possibility. Now, I'm going to be 70 this year. I'm 69. I'm going to be 70 this June. So back then, women of my age um, were told, and I, when I share this with large book clubs, I see all the women my age nodding their head. But I thought that I could be a teacher, a nurse, or a secretary. Those were my three options. Never did I think it was possible to be a writer. I just thought writers were very special people. And then are extraordinary people. And then um, as I when I grew up, I realized that writers were just ordinary people who might write something extraordinary. When did you when did you realize that? Oh, maybe five years ago. (laughs) (laughs) What happened? How did that shift? Oh, honestly, I don't think it really I mean, the shift came as I grew up and realized that No one had all the answers. No one was perfect. Everyone was constantly learning. If they were smart, they were constantly learning. And um, that was me too. So I didn't, once I let go of the idea that I had to have this persona where I knew everything because I thought other people knew everything, uh, when I let that go, I realized that everyone was just a normal person, just a normal human being. Kathleen, how far back in your life can you trace the roots of the story that became The Kitchen House? Oh, hmm. Well, I was always interested in history. And I don't know. I certainly didn't want to study slavery. That was the last thing I wanted to study. Um, It was just not palatable. It wasn't something that I particularly wanted to look into. We used to go to Colonial Williamsburg before I even began any of before the kitchen house began. Um, So I was always interested in that history. But I can't think of anything specifically that where I could tie it in. Now, you said that story came to you. How, How did that happen? And when did that happen? We were renovating we when we moved down to Virginia, we were renovating an old place that had once been a stagecoach stop in a tavern had been built in 1830. And uh, while we were renovating this place, we found an old map. We were shown an old map. And on that old map, we could find our place. But next to our place, uh, just up the road a bit, there was a handwritten notation that said Negro Hill. And I became obsessed with wanting to find out what happened there and why that had been called Negro Hill. So through a series of other events where I met with an old black woman, Mrs. Bessie Lowe, who has since passed away, um, her grandparents had one, once been slaves. Her grandfathers had once been slaves as children. So when I talked to her, I said, I need to know what happened on that hill. And she said, well, why don't you write your own story? And I said, I don't have a story to tell because hers had to do in the town square and that would have been 30 miles away. And it just didn't sound right to me. So she was a very religious woman and she um, looked at me for a long time. And she said, well, why don't you pray on it? And I thought, oh, I can pray all I want. But I knew I didn't have a story. But I didn't say that to her. I do meditate in the morning. And I think I started to incorporate some of this. I was meditating down by our by a stream. And at that stream, there was this big pile of boulders and rocks. And we had been told that had once been a, a slave cabin. And it was just such a beautiful, peaceful, tranquil place. So that's where I meditated. And one morning after speaking with Mrs. Lowe, I walked up the hill and I looked 
out from our hill over toward where Negro Hill would have been. And I just said out loud, what happened there? And then I came back in the house and I sat down to do what I had done for years. And that was daily journaling. And that morning when I sat down, it was as though I was having a memory. And I picked up my pencil and I started to write what I was seeing. And it was the prologue for the kitchen house. Now, of course, we all want to go back and read that prologue immediately. Now, this may mean that it's time to move on and talk about the books you love. But you mentioned that a really wonderful book lets you feel like you're right there, like you are part of the story. I would love to hear about some of those titles that you have found as, as a reader that have allowed you to do that. Is it time to talk about the books you love? Well, I always love to talk about the books I love because I think that it's it's like sharing, um, you know, when we want to talk about our family or when we're with someone that we really care about and we get to know each other, we get to know and you're telling me about your family and I'm telling you about mine. That's almost what it feels like for me when we talk about books. And I think it has to do with because if you read something I, or if I read something, I want you to experience what I experienced while I was reading that. And it usually has to do with empathizing or um, having been there. So I think that's why I love to talk about books and why I love to share books. So, yes, absolutely. I'm up for that anytime. Well, Kathleen, here's how this works. You are going to tell me three books you love one book you are not so crazy about and what you've been reading lately. And we'll talk about what you should read next. Whoa, I like that. What, we should, what I should read next. Well, I'm going to, first of all, I can start out with my three favorite books. And actually I have four. I had to put the fourth in there. Okay. And then I'll ask you to remind me about what else I was supposed to be telling you because I won't remember. <laughs> Once I go off, I'll, I'll lose track. So I mentioned Robert Morgan's book, Gap Creek, before. And that was so powerful to me the first time I read it because he was able through his writing to bring me into the mind of a 16-year-old girl. And that was his, it turned out, it was his, I think it was his great-grandmother or his grandmother. But the vernacular, the way he spoke, the, the, the way the words came off the page, I was pulled right into it and I was exhausted by the time the book was finished because I just wanted more. Um, I know I said I was exhausted and then I wanted more, but that's exactly, <laughs> that's the way it was for me. I just, I was so into that story. What was it about the story that, what, what did he do and what themes did he hit that made it so powerful a reading experience for you? Well, uh, she was a young married woman. She was a very young 16 year old. Uh, she was living uh, in this isolated world and trying to uh, make a living with her husband. And they just had one disaster after another happen. And to me, when that happens, I'm always, that's one of the reasons that I like uh, autobiographies. I love to hear how people overcome difficulties. Uh, that I find that so inspiring. And um, often they teach me uh, that no matter what, you just pick up and keep on going. And that's certainly what happened in Gap Creek. That was the, the story of her life. And it was just, oh, she had so many horrific things happen, but she just kept on going. And I admired that so much. So, and I think I tend to go with that. That's kind of, I, I look for people that I can admire and sort of... Um, work toward. So number two, yes, West with the Night by Beryl Markham. That's an old book. I think 
that it was like written in 1946 or something like that. But of course, I didn't read it back then. I was born back in 1947. But um, it, it was so interesting because many years ago, I was doing private duty nursing with a patient and he was a, he had been a pilot and he pulled this book out of his bookshelf and he said to me, I actually met this woman. Her name was Beryl Markham and she wrote this great book. So I read it and I was I just loved it. So this is a woman who lived um, back then and she wrote about her experiences. She lived over in um, Kenya and she was a pilot uh, back in those days, which was highly unusual, as you can imagine, for a woman to be a pilot. And she lived quite a life, fascinating life. So I would highly recommend West with a Night. If you want to take it a step further, Paula McLean has a book out. Um, I think she had it out about a year now, or maybe a little bit longer. It's called Circling the Sun. And that is about Beryl Markham's life. And it's sort of, she speaks as though she is... Um, uh, taken on her character, that is, Paula McLean has. But if you want the real deal, begin with West with a Night, and that's in Beryl Markham's own own words. She sort of overlaps with Out of Africa, with Isaac Dennison and Out of Africa. So they sh they share some of the same, literally share some of the same characters in that time period. I have only read Circling the Sun. I haven't read West with a Night yet, but I was just reading a book recently where it was it was nonfiction. It was an interview format. Okay, I don't want to confess this, but it was Tim Ferriss. It was Tools of Titans, and he was he was uh, interviewing someone older than me and very smart and very. I want to say a military person who said everyone should read West with the Night. Amazing, life changing book. I haven't gotten to it yet, but that was only a couple months ago. Did you find Circling the Sun to be? what what you might have expected Beryl Markham's life to be life based on reading The Real Deal? I was, um, I think I was expecting too much. First of all, I had read and reread West with the Night through the years, and I knew her voice. So I knew Beryl's real voice. So I was going in with the, expect, the expectation that I would be hearing her real voice again. And I think that it was a pretty darn good um, voice that uh, that she did that Paula wrote. But I'll put it this way. I think that Paula did a really good job and that she enhances the story of Beryl Markham's life. I think she certainly puts in details that Beryl Markham didn't put in her own book for good reason. In that time period, they weren't as frank when they wrote an autobiography. And um, I think that Paula included details that I certainly hadn't known about and was very curious about and interested to read. So the two work together nicely, I think. So then there's the third, and that is, oh, God, I love this book. Uh, Alexandra Fuller wrote a book called Don't Let's Go to the Dogs Tonight. That is such a great title. So, oh, there's another one that she wrote that's a follow-up that's really a good book as well. And it's something like Cocktails Under the Tree of Forgetfulness. Oh, that might, that might be even better. Uh, honestly, her titles are just so perfect, but her writing is also I think just amazing. This is an autobiography and it is her childhood and it happens to be that she was, uh, it was Rhodesia at the time. So it's, I guess it would now be Zimbabwe. And she was writing about her early childhood and the adventures of her childhood. And she wrote very openly and very honestly about her family. And um, they lived through some incredible 
times, but it was also very real the way she wrote it. So uh, I would just highly recommend that. Where does the title come from? Um, I believe it has to do with, if I'm correct, uh, with the drinking that happened in the family. And I think that when everyone just had way too much, let's there's an expression saying, don't let's go to the dogs tonight. I think that might be an English expression, British maybe. Um, but it has to do with let, don't let everything go to hell or go to heck if I'm going to win. <laughs> <laughs> I think, Don't want to I think the, that's okay. Is it okay? Good. All right. Good. So, and, and so, but I, the fourth one that I had to throw in there yeah. is Follow the River. That's an old book again. Um, but James Alexandra, Alexander Tom, T-H-O-M, wrote this book called Follow the River. And it's about a 23-year-old woman who was captured by the Shawnees and she escaped and she traveled 1,000 miles to freedom. Uh, the way he wrote it is just in such detail that he brings you right into that story. And I can't imagine anyone reading it and not living that out because it's so well done. That sounds fascinating. Oh, it really, really was. Of course, I'm interested in it right now because my next book has to do with a Crow Native woman. Ooh, I was hoping we get to talk about this. Well, I just wanted to mention that because that's one of the reasons why I threw in Follow the River. <laughs> Because of the whole, I'm so fascinated with that. I think I mentioned to you earlier about that whole, uh, the whole native thing. So then you asked me for one that I disliked. Did you ask me about? You said man, one that I really didn't. Oh, you said that I hated. But I said, I don't think I can hate a book. I can dislike a book. How about, oh, explain the difference in your mind. Hating to me is a judgment. And disliking is saying that's not for me. And I know what it takes to write a book. And even, you know, I've read so many people will give me their, their books that they've self-published. And even though they're just, some of them are just desperate to be edited or they're desperate to be helped. I know the effort that these people have put into writing that book. So I can't say that, ooh, I hated it. But I can say, well, I disliked it. or I'll It wasn't the book for you. It wasn't mm -hmm. the book for me. Or the subject matter. You know, some people, I'm just really sensitive to what I read, but some people can read, you know, things where horrific things happened and it doesn't bother them. You're really sensitive to what you read, although that must have been quite a challenge in researching and writing The Kitchen House and Glory Over Everything. It really was a challenge. How did you work around that? Or how did you endure that? Which is the right question. I paced, I cried, I would write, I paced, I'd cry, and I'd write. And I would just, you know, I believe in a God, and I ask for some help. And I would keep on going. The character, because it played out like a movie, um, it would always end when I was tired. So it would end after a couple of hours, and the movie would stop. And you know when you're... Um, in the middle of a movie that you're really in the thick of, like you're living it, you want to know what's coming next. So that's what really kept me going. I, I was in love with my characters and I wanted to know what was going to happen to them. So that's how I kept going. But I didn't like the process. I didn't like having to do the research and I didn't like having the things ha that happened to them happen. And what about now? I can't imagine that what you're currently researching would be much easier. No, it, it really isn't. But the interesting thing, Anne, is when you 
um, start to research for a character. I have this one woman who actually lived, and there's documentation on her life. And her um, life is so fascinating. The little bits that I've been able to uncover, just a little bit. She was married to a white man, which was very unusual for a Crow woman. Um, she had There were just different things where she testified in court, which was highly unusual for them to A, allow a woman, and to have an Indian woman do that was just unbelievable. Uh, and then she lost her children. Her children were stolen from her uh, when she was on the Crow uh, re residence or the reservation, pardon me. She just had things happen that your heart breaks for her. And, um, of course, alcoholism is included in the story as well. So while you're researching this, you're almost, um, you're almost carried through it because your heart so belongs to the character that in order to do her justice, I have to know the depths of what she experienced as well as the most wonderful things she experienced. Where are you in the process on your current project? Research. I've been out to the Crow Reservation now the fourth time this past summer. And what I'm trying to do is immerse myself as much as I can in the Crow people or with the Crow people because uh, the culture is so complicated and complex. So I need to fully immerse myself first before I can even remotely begin to uh, do justice to her story and expect her to come through and speak through me. And what's coming next? Do you mean after Crow Mary? I mean... When when will you know that the research is done enough, and what what how does how does the book unfold? Well, I can give you the example of Jamie's story. That's the second book that I wrote. I was at the Crow Reservation, and I was thinking that that's what I was going to do was write Crow Mary's story after the Kitchen House. And then um, while I was trying to research, I couldn't absorb anything. And I realized I couldn't absorb anything because it was as though I was being blocked. And I knew, I don't know how I knew, but I knew that I was being blocked by Jamie, who was a character from the kitchen house. And he was now growing up and he was letting me know that I was meant to tell his story next. So I called my agent and I said, Rebecca, and she's luckily a sweetheart. And I said, Rebecca, I'm being blocked and I know you want me to write Crow Mary because I had told her about the story. But I said, Jamie from the kitchen house wants me to write his story next. And she said, well, Kathy, that must be your muse. So I guess you have to listen to your muse. And that's what I did. Then I switched course. I went up to Philadelphia and began to do research up there. So I think I kind of went off track there. Which was the going off track? Was it, was it, was it the first stab out in Montana? Or was it glory over everything? Well, no, I think that once I knew that I had to write a story, I knew that it wasn't time for me to write about Crow Mary. I, I, but I always knew her time would come. And so I, when I begin to do the, I do the research, and I did that with Jamie's story. I did it for about a year, 10 months, I think. And then um, you just sort of, I'm full. I'm full of the information. And so I sit down and I say, where are you? And he did exactly the same that Lavinia had done in uh, the kitchen house. He just began to tell his story. The movie began. And what he will do or what they do is just take, they pick and choose the information they need from all of the research that I've done. That's, they just use it to better tell their story. So when they're talking about something, I know what they're talking about. It's more that I know what they're talking about so that I can better relate it to my 
readers. So we've gone from personal taste out to Montana and back to Pennsylvania and back. Okay. Let's, we, I, I think we're just putting it off. Kathy, what, what we were talking about how a book cannot be for you and still be a good book. What was that book that wasn't for you? Well, I just almost hate to say it because it was really well done. And it was a book called Alice I Have Been by Melanie Benjamin. Yes, I have not read this one, but I'm familiar with her work. Yes, and I think she's a just a great writer. I think she did a remarkable job, but I think what she did was such a remarkable job that it really felt creepy to me. I went into this thinking I was going to read about how this innocent little girl, Alice in Wonderland, um, came to be created. Lewis Carroll wrote the, the Alice in Wonderland, as I'm sure you know. But in this story, he came across as being a very creepy man. And I was so into the story that I finished it. But I, I, it just left me with a really bad taste in my mouth. And that has stayed with me for a long time. Now, I may be reading too much into this, but just what we've talked about so far with the books you enjoy and the kind of stories you like, mm -hmm. is it safe to say that you're really looking for something that's not cheesy inspirational, but does have um, a note of redemption or inspiration or an uplifting thread going through it? Is that is that fair? I hadn't ever thought about it that way, but I think maybe you're right. I think you're right. I like to be inspired. Um, I think there's so much. We all face terrible tragedy and have extreme difficulties to get through in life. And I always look for, all right, well, where's the positive? Where, where can we focus on the positive here? So I think I do like to bring through, yes, some of the redeeming things of life. And it sounds like that wasn't present in Alice, I have been. You know, I don't think so. I, I think that's probably exactly right. It was just, to me, it was a very, it left you with a really dark feeling. Certainly it left me with a very dark feeling. I felt that this little girl had been manipulated. And um, I thought that the man, that Lewis Carroll had some real issues that he hadn't dealt with. And um, that the little girl was you know, really possibly, possibly molested, but it didn't, she didn't come out and say that. So it was just, you were left with that feeling of, Ooh, you know, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Creepy is not a feeling I would want to be left with either. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I hate to say that because I really have to say, I don't remember what Melanie also wrote, but I do know that she has done some good work. Many readers who I think enjoyed The Kitchen House really loved The Aviator's Wife, especially. And then that's interesting because she also wrote Swans of Fifth Avenue that focused on Truman Capote. Who, and I wouldn't say that was a creepy feeling, but it's not its not a warm and fuzzy book by any no, means. No, it isn't. You're right. Although I, I have to say that I enjoyed it only because I lived over that time period uh, when he was in New York and I was in New York at that time period. Oh. Mm -hmm. So that was, mm -hmm. I read it more, you know from that point of view. Yes. And I can imagine that definitely adding an extra layer. Kathy, what are you reading now? Well, like I, I mentioned earlier that Ann Patchett is sitting here, State of Wonder, that I'm about to read. Um, I also have Helen Simonson's book, The Summer Before the War. I've been uh, sort of, I, I'm pretty darn sure I'm going to like that book because I liked Major Pettigrew's Last Stand, her other book. And I'm sort of saving that. I, you know, there are certain books that I know are there and waiting for me. And I kind of 
hold them off like a box of chocolates. I'll eat them very slowly. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good feeling. I think it is too. Kathy, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk about what you should read next based on your picks. Okay, Kathy, I don't love recommending books to authors because it feels daunting. Why? I'm just a woman who wrote a book. That's it. It's that simple. Well, yes, but you also have some years on me, so you've had more time to read. So I feel True. like you've read everything. No, I haven't read everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, well, I haven't. I wish I had, but I know I haven't. So what, what would you recommend? Well, probably a bunch of books you've already read. Do you want to see? I do. Okay. Here goes. Okay. Cross your fingers. Say a prayer. Okay. If you haven't read this, I think you would really, really love this. Okay. News of the World by Paulette Giles. Oh, I've read that. <laughs> Did you like it? Am I on the right track? Absolutely. Uh-huh. Because we have the Old West right after the Civil War, uplifting through thread, man's inhumanity to man. Okay. Well, I'm glad to know I'm on the right track then. You are. What about All Over But the Shoutin' by Rick Bragg? Oh, I love Rick Bragg. <laughs> uh, and have you read that one? I have him written down here because that was where I was struggling with books that I love. I love Rick Bragg. The, I haven't read the latest one about Jerry, um, the, the pianist. Neither have I. Oh, that's his latest. And But I, I absolutely love, I get Southern, what's it called? Southern Living? Yes. Just because at the back he writes that column. And if you don't know about that, you have to order Southern. So it's called Southern Living, I think it's called the magazine. It is. My my mom gets it. I haven't gotten it in years. Well, get it because you'll read it. It is worth just his back. That back page is his column. And he never fails to make me laugh out loud at least three or four times. <laughs> in one column? I just love that man. Just love that man in one column. Yes. Well, his column is a page, so it's about three or four columns, maybe. My favorite thing I've ever read in Southern Living, maybe ever, was this really funny story on the back page. The author, who was male, had a theory that you can judge how good barbecue was going to be in advance before you take a bite based on what the pig on the barbecue sign is doing. And the more human-like the pig was, the better the barbecue was going to be. So just like a pig eating out of eating slop, no good. But if the, if the pig was wearing a cowboy hat, smoking a pipe, and riding a tractor, that was going to be some awesome barbecue. I wonder if that was Rick Bragg. I was just going to say, I will bet you that was Rick Bragg. <laughs> I will bet you. Because you don't expect him to be writing that. But all he writes about the South. I'm from Saskatchewan. And he's from way down south. And I feel as though I've lived his life. I could live right there. I'm comfortable with his life. How is that possible? Because he's, he's really good, I think. He's just really good. He's really, really. He pulls you into his, into his life. That, to me, is a good writer. Okay. And I'll, I'll read the new one about the piano. Have you read either Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrand or Devil at My Heels by Louis Samperini? No, I haven't read either of those. Because I was a little bit afraid to. I thought that they were going to be pretty grim. Well, they are. They are. But I don't think too much. And there is such a powerful through thread of hope in the whole thing. Now, uh, Laura Hillenbrand is one of those authors that I will 
uh, I will read anything she ever writes. She's very slow. Um, but I was pleased to know her third book is in process as of a year or two ago. So we'll probably get it in eight years, but it'll be worth waiting for. Her first book, Seabiscuit, was phenomenal. Both these books, I think you would find really appealing and you can decide which one or both you want to read. Um, they don't pair together in quite the same way as Circling the Sun and West with the Night, just because both these books are, are straight nonfiction. Laura Hillenbrands is a fascinating, page-turning, reads-like-a-novel story of his life. That's unbroken. Devil at My Heels is his autobiography, or one of them. He also wrote Don't Give Up, Don't Give In. But I like this one for you, Devil at My Heels. So it sounds like you know a little bit about it. He was a 1936 Olympic medal winner. He was a runner. That part of the book is fascinating. He was a pilot in World War II, um, troubled youth, awful wartime experiences, um, prisoner of war, post-war. He was in a bad place, but he was put, he converted to Christianity at a, at a Billy Graham crusade in the late forties and it changed his life. And it's just, the truth is crazier than fiction kind of story. But I really like this for you for the historical setting, the wonderful detail. They're both really gifted storytellers in very different ways. And it just has that powerful hit of genuine, unsappy, authentic redemption. So there's lots of man's inhumanity to man, but there's also a lot of inner strength and resilience that just keeps bubbling to the surface. Mm -hmm. They do sound, they sound great. I'll definitely read them. Which one do you think you'll read? I'll read both of them, but I'll read Unbroken first. Okay. How, how come? Because I've been meaning to read that for a long time. And sometimes all you need is someone to say, go ahead and get it. Oh my goodness. I completely understand the power of the nudge. I know. I know. Yeah. Catapults a book from the, the middle of my giant, <laughs> my giant reading list to my bedside table. Uh, me too. Same thing here. Same exact thing here. Kathy, what about Barbara Kingsolver? Well, um, I'm trying to remember the title of that first one of hers that I, where she was in, um, where they were in the jungle. The Poisonwood Bible. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I had mixed feelings about that and I don't remember why. Oh, and that, <laughs> of course, that's what I was going to ask you next. What, what were you going to ask me? Why the, why the mixed feelings? Yeah, I had, I had just had mixed feelings about it. And I don't remember why, though. But I, it prevented me from reading anything else of hers. Oh, interesting. Because, well, let me, let me take a shot at describing another one and see what you think. Because I think you might really like The Bean Trees by her. Which, I have to say, the title didn't appeal to me very much because, I don't know, beans. Why are there beans in a book title? But what she's referring to is the little pods from Wisteria Blossoms and how they do look like... They, they look like beans. We had some in our old backyard. And as a Virginian, I thought maybe the wisteria angle would sound appealing. It, now, I am a Kentucky girl. In this story, a young Kentucky girl takes off for Arizona and makes a home there. Um, this was written in 1988. It's her debut. Um, the topics Kingsolver writes about here were probably timely at the time, but they're even more so now. She... She's in the middle of Arizona with no friends, no family, and no money. And 
the protagonist here pulls together her own family from the people she bumps into and hits it off with and realizes, hey, like we should team up for a while and our lives would be a little better. And there's a powerful thread through here about um, immigration. She befriends a family of illegal immigrants and you see up close their struggles to to live to find a place that is safe for them on many different levels. Um, the I don't want to say too much about what happens in the story, but I think, especially for a debut, uh, Barbara Kingsolver really takes some hot button topics, the kind that book clubs are discussing right now, and weaves them together into a really um, engaging, it's not a feel-good story, but it has a strong thread of redemption running through it. And I think based on what you've enjoyed, that it sounds promising for you. Okay, good. So I have three good ones now. Three good recommendations. I'll oh, definitely read them. Because we doubled up on the, uh, on the, the <laughs> other one. No, I, re I, really, I really will. I love to get recommendations. Now, but I feel like that was a two for one with the first one. Having written two novels set in the Civil War era in the South. How do you feel about reading Civil War books? Well, I don't think that that would be something I would seek out. Just that just has never been my, it's never where I've really gone. This was something I was pulled to uh, almost in spite of myself. Well, no, not almost. I was pulled to it in spite of myself. Well, and then I say that, and then in front of me, a book that I just read was um, The America's First Daughter, and that's historical fiction about Thomas Jefferson and his daughter. All right. Well, then we're going to back away from the Civil War fiction. Okay. For book three, I'm going to double down on Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. I've heard of it over and over again. Well, here's why. Because so much, it sounds like you all have approaches to your work that are not, not at all the same, but have a lot in common. If they were the same, maybe it wouldn't be interesting. And she talks about the nature of creativity, where good ideas come from, how they get carried out. It is nonfiction. And I especially, since you, since you have State of Wonder on your bedside table, and since you just finished reading, This is the Story of a Happy Marriage by Ann Patchett, I love the idea of you reading especially those two pages where she tells the story about the link between State of Wonder and Elizabeth Gilbert's never finished novel. I, I think you might get a kick out of it. Okay. Okay. I'll definitely look forward to that for sure. Okay. Okay. Kathy, of those three books, what do you think you'll try next? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Stumper. Oh. Well, n now I'm looking at four books, though. Unbroken, Devil at My Heels, and uh, The Bean Trees, and then now Big Magic. Oh, that's funny. You know, you gave me four favorites, and I accidentally dished you four right back. Did you? Well, there you go. So it, uh, oh, I've, each one of them I've heard of, each one of them, The Bean Trees I thought about, should I get it? So which one would I do next? Honestly, either Big Magic or Unbroken or The Bean Trees or Devil at My Heels. <laughs> I don't know. Fair enough. Take your pick. Mm -hmm. I know they're all going to be fun to read. Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. This was wonderful talking books with you today. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Anne, for having me. I appreciate this a lot. 
Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kathleen today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Kathleen and to let her know there what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 78, and it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Readers, next week we have a very special episode for you. Summer reading season is right around the corner. The Modern Mrs. Darcy Summer Reading Guide is a big deal around here. It will be available on May 17th. And to kick things off, next week is devoted to the books we can't wait to read this summer. Go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash iTunes and hit subscribe there right now so you are ready to go next Tuesday. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. To be the first to hear about upcoming guests and more fun behind the scenes What Should I Read Next news, make sure you're getting our newsletter. Subscribers will get the summer reading guide early, so you want to be on that list. Sign up at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.